Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Happy Hum Day, everyone. It's、uh, Wednesday this weekend. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Dan Ko, keeping you company on your money. Lots to break down on the show today, so without further ado, let's welcome on the show Willie King, the one and only founder of Dividend Titan. Good morning,、hey. Willie. Hey, Dan. Good morning. Willie, I was just、um, searching on Google, and apparently it is Google's 25th birthday. Did you know that? Oh, I, I didn't know until I opened up my Google Chrome and I saw the, the numbers 25. So I、yeah. hazard a guess that it, it is his birthday on today, right?、Mm-hmm. And he has came out. I think this means that it started since 1998. Yeah. And what was interesting is that, you know, then it. it It didn't occur to me until I realized that actually I've been using Google for you know, a couple of years because、okay. I first chanced upon Google,、um, Google when I was still in, studying for, in university.、Mm. And it was introduced by one of my hall or dorm,、um, dormitory friends.、Right? Okay. We, all, okay. we all stay、like, in this close community.、Yeah. And he introduced to me, hey, really, you should be using、um, this, this、um, browser called Chrome. And, I, and back then, I have no idea what it was because I was using Internet Explorer. So、right. before it was called Bing,、mm-hmm. um, my, Microsoft had this very popular. Um, browser called the IE or Internet, Internet Explorer. So I was using that、okay. and I was quite hesitant to actually use Chrome until、yeah. when I started using it and I realized hey, this, this application or this browser is so much easier to use. It feels much lighter、uh-huh. and the search engine se- seems to be much faster as well. Oh, is that right?、Uh, well, I mean,、uh, they've made it so far for the past 25 years and they've been quite successful as well. And speaking of how you've,、uh, I mean, you've chanced upon Google in university, right? Well, the founders, Sir J. Brin and Larry Page, they met in Stanford University's science program in the late 90s as well. And that's how it all started back on September 27th of 1998. Anyways, happy birthday, Google. It's a good 25 years so far. Now, let's move on over to what's on the headlines this morning. And much of the movement overnight on Wall Street was driven by a fall in new home sales and consumer confidence as well, which all missed economists' estimates. Willie, Break down the numbers for us and why did it cause markets to react so dramatically? Yep, so if we see on the recent, new,、um, the recent economic data here, US new home sales have, have actually fell to a five month low、mm. um, based on. Due to elevated rates or elevated mortgage rates,、um, the purchases of new single home families fell, fell 8.7% to a 675,000 annualized pace following an upward revision to July's figure. So, this marks the largest drop in nearly a year.、Ooh. And economists have previously estimated in a Bloomberg survey、um, calling for a 698,000 um, um, new home sales、mm-hmm. pace here. But this has sort of fallen short. And really, this is driven by higher mortgage rates because as rates continue to go up, it actually more, seems to be more expensive、um, to actually finance a house. And this sort of results in a fall in the new home sales here.、Mm. Does this suggest anything about you know, how the, what the health of the US economy is going to be like in the near term as well? I think this really comes at the back of how. The Federal Reserve has been very aggressively trying to push rates higher.、Mm. And, you know, from since last week,、um, the Fed has also made an announcement or de- a decision that it could possibly leave、um, higher rates for a longer、um, time to come. And this has sort of had some impact because, on one hand, they're trying to bring down inflation,、mm. but on the other hand, as well,、um, it, it has also pulled. Pulled back some of the spending,、um, including、um, new home sales as well. So, this is 
a reduction in the new home sales is sort of a reflection uh, looking at consumers trying to pull back on some of their spending and this could also affect um, their spending decisions you know for for example as the covid pandemic has sort of come to a close the amount of savings the savings rate for the us economy or for the people has also started to drop mm. so as savings drop, um, spending also has been pulled back. Um, it's natural as you, if, if you're looking at some of these um, uh, home purchase decisions have also started mm. to fall as well. Mm. And then the question remains though, Willie, do we expect or are we expecting the housing market in the US to crash? And would that perhaps even trigger a broader recession over in the US market as well? Um, I, I think for my personal view, I don't think there would be a, an in an imminent crash or an imminent recession in the housing market mm. um, for a couple of reasons. Number one, if you compare this to 15 years ago um, during the subprime mortgage, um, there were actually um, an incessant uh, increase in purchasing of homes and mm-hmm. also subprime uh, um, homes as well. And many of the banks, they were actually aggressively refinancing many of these homes mm. uh, back then. So there, were a, there was a huge amount of leverage piling up. But Today, what we are seeing is a slightly different scenario where you're looking at the economy trying to tighten the credit, meaning that they're trying to reduce the amount of leverage which has been given to be given out to consumers. That's mm-hmm. why you can see the home prices have sort of started to take a fall here. Mm. Uh, this on one hand, but what I can see is that you know I'm I'm. I'm not an economist, but what I can see is that there could be a slowdown in temporary s- slowdown in home sales here mm-hmm. as the Fed is pushing for a slightly higher rate mm-hmm. um, for a much longer period of time. So this could actually implicate on people taking up mortgages, refinancing, because previously when interest rates are low, uh, when consumers refinance, they are refinancing at a much cheaper interest cost, which yeah. means that the excess amount of money which they could uh, save could be spent on the economy. But now, if they are able, if they need to actually refinance or buy a new home at a much higher mortgage rate, which this means that the amount of savings, uh, the amount of money which they could potentially save in their bank account is much lesser, which mm. also means that it could be a pullback in the amount of spending which they uh, can make um, in their daily purchases. Mm. Uh, this could mean that you know there might not be a huge crash but there could be sort of a slowdown in mm. consumer spending and discretionary spending. Mm. Interesting. I'm going to add to that point as well. I mean, I'm reading on an article which explains that economists are expecting that the correction of the real estate market in the US will be nothing like the utter collapse of property prices during the Great Recession when some housing markets experienced a 50% cratering of values. So, I mean, it remains to be seen but hopefully we don't reach that stage. Let's now shift gears um, and stick to the US. But on a similar note, talk about the tech stocks which drove market rally in the first half of this year. It is no question that the stock market rally for the first half was built on the back of technology stocks. Talking about the lights of uh, NVIDIA, right? As as investors bet on a resilient US consumer and hype surrounding artificial intelligence, that continued to keep shares soaring. But not all good news lasts forever. Now we're seeing the brunt of the selling in tech, where the bruising stretch left the S&P 500 Information Technology Index down more than 10% from its July high. Now, Willie, what do you make of investors' sentiment on tech stocks currently? And have they run out of steam on AI? Alright, I mean, there's um, two, two parts here. Um, so I'll just answer the first part. Then. Okay. Um, so we're talking about sentiments here on tech stocks. And I think this is more of a knee-jerk reaction from what has happened um, last week, mm. um, where you have, you know, potential higher rates for longer. Um, there's, there could potentially be another rate hike to come. Yep. Um, and the thing is, 
tech stocks typically don't fare too well when the market is looking for an in- increase in interest rates or when the Fed typically increase interest rates. And mm-hmm. the reason why, I, I mean, for two reasons. Number one, uh, some the broader tech stocks, I mean, if we don't just look at the blue chips, but the smaller ones as well, yeah. they tend to actually borrow money um, in order to finance their operations, to finance their businesses. Because many of these technology companies, while they may aggressively grow their revenues, but in terms of their profitability, many of them, they might not be making good money. And mm. as a result, in order to maintain these businesses, they have to borrow money. So as interest rates go up, they actually have, they find themselves um, bleeding more cash paying more interest expense yeah. and also run the risk of slowing down the expansion. Okay. So that's one. This, the second thing is that for interest rates, how it, it, how it impacts um, tech stocks, it impacts the valuations because if you look at how the discounted cash flow models um, uh, decides how to value these companies, as interest rates go up, the valuations for these tech stocks typically would drop and as a result, um, the potential uh, higher rates for longer could impact um, sentiments for tech stocks here. And that's why we are seeing this knee-jerk reaction on the broader tech stocks uh, mm. which have fell recently. Mm. So, on the second point, have they run out of steam? Um, not really because if you see on the longer-term trend, mm. uh, we are seeing really big push in artificial intelligence. Yeah. And what many experts, they like to call, you know, we are really into the next tech revolution since the dot-com of the late 1990s because back then, if you remembered, um, 20 plus, but close to 30, close to 30 years ago, um, there were huge um, um, interests which attracted uh, many tech companies, many tech startups have just sort of started um, entering or discovering mm. the power of technology. Yeah. But not many of these companies were, or not many countries were also able to actually control the power of this, um, the, the power of technology. So it's right. not until like 20 plus years later what we are seeing now where technology has started to mature and many companies now they are able to better understand what sort of technology is coming into the foray which Mm. means that a lot of companies are also starting to pour in money um, pour in capital Mm. pour in their dollars are going into developing um, things like your artificial intelligence your internet of things and this would potentially help the market um, at least not Maybe not for this year, but in at least over the medium to the long term. So tech stocks, for me, I don't think they've run out of steam. If any, I think in the long term trajectory, it could remain as a bright spot. I mean, I, I was just speaking with Lynn earlier on and she did yeah. mention that the top, the top 10 billionaires, uh, which was listed um, in the Bloomberg Index, out of 10, nine of them are in the technology space. So you can mm. see like the amount of wealth these billionaires yeah. um, are making their money. I mean, previously, if you see uh, billionaires of the 80s, of the 70s, of the 80s, they are coming from all sorts of sectors, right? Um, yeah. In terms of telecommunications, properties, conglomerate. But mm. these days, it's more concentrated or more focused on the technology space. So this really means that te- technology is, you know, it, con- it does continue to have this uh, long yeah. tailwind in yeah. the industry. Yeah, so much to look forward to. I mean, uh, constantly, I mean, almost every week, new developments in the technology space as well and consumers are definitely going to be looking out for that. Now, on top of that, I mean, even as we talk about the 10% drop in since July, the S&P 500 Information Technology Index, let's not forget, is still up 32% this year so far compared with an 11% gain in the S&P 500. So I suppose that kind of says quite a bit about um, the sentiment on the stocks. Now then, let's talk about something similar 
and maybe shift a little bit more towards the IPO markets. You know, while markets are still struggling off declines in two of this month's biggest listing, we're talking about ARM Holdings as well as Instacart. One prospective one prospective IPO is starting to take the spotlight. I mean, they've been taking the spotlight for a while now. We're talking about OpenAI, the creator of ChatGPT. They're talking to investors about a potential share sale that would value the startup at not $80 billion, but $90 billion. Willie, what are your thoughts on this? <laughs> well, I mean, technology stocks, they tend to command very rich valuation. Because they do. Because of their, you know, their, their potential and the prospects of this um, type of businesses, mm. and you and you have rightly, rightfully pointed out. I mean, this rich valuation, this rich valuation would put OpenAI at almost three times at what the artificial intelligence startups was valued at earlier this year, and would also make it one of the most highly valued startups. Yeah. I mean, um, OpenAI is owned. Um, Microsoft invested thirteen billion dollars in OpenAI, which was co-founded by Sam Altman, mm. and the AI startup is on track to hit a billion dollars of annual revenue. So OpenAI is basically, um, you know, to, to this day is regarded as one of the few companies really at the forefront of generative AI and he has put many of the other tech giants such as Amazon, Alphabet and Meta on their feet yeah. trying to also compete with OpenAI's ChatGPT. Mm. So, Generative AI basically can create content not just from from videos, but to writing poetries, um, and also you know trying right now they are also in the works of trying to communicate. Um, yeah. Uh, between the users and the AI themselves. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting though. I mean, but I mean, taking a look at what with with what's happened so far with ARM and Instacart, you know, after the IPO, right now we've just seen their stocks just falling, and investors losing interest as well. So, Willie, do you see the do you see the same scenario happening for ChatGBT, or would you say that it would be a turnaround for the IPO market and this is likely to increase investors' appetite for new listings as well? You know, then this sort of brings me to a point you know, very similar to how the bond the bond market is like as well because um, there was once upon a time when um, there was also an expectation of increase in interest rates yeah. and many companies, they upon expecting higher rates in the future, many of them, they decided to actually raise more debt ahead of high interest rates. Mm. And I could see this happening also for the IPO market, especially in the technology space. And the reason why is, if you see, right, how higher interest rates could affect technology valuations. Yeah. Um, and at this point, uh, like what you have mentioned earlier, um, the S&P technology uh, index have grown, you know, year to date up, you know, at least 30%. Yeah. So there's still a lot of rich valuations to go. People are still generally bullish about the tech space. And I won't be surprised to see that more tech companies are trying to come out to list themselves or raise fresh capital, especially at a time where, you know, it's so much more difficult to raise money because it's more expensive. Yeah. As interest rates go up, the interest cost we should be paying on your debt gets more expensive. Mm. So one alternative is to raise fresh capital from the equity market or from the stock market. And IPO is actually one way to go. So if any, which I'm seeing, I won't be surprised if there are, there are more IPOs coming from the technology space trying to list themselves mm. um, at least you know when the market seems to be in a healthy position. Mm, the revival of the US IPO market. Let's, let's see how it uh, continues to develop over the next few weeks. Now, last story of today. 
we're going to talk about the same tune, the IPO market as well. But we shift our attention over to Hong Kong. And as part of one of the most radical shakeups in Alibaba's history, the company is planning to list its logistics unit, Chinyao, on the Hong Kong Stock Ex- Exchange. Willie, what are your thoughts on this? And do you see its six other business units following suit as well? I think this is a bright spot for China. I mean, at least this is, this is sort of the good news which um, I'm hearing after, you know, days where we are talking about how bad sentiments um, the property developers are and mm. also the general economy. And I guess this is some form of a positive news amidst all the very uh, dark news which we are seeing in China here. And yeah. for China Smart Logistics Network, this is the logistics arm of Alibaba Group. And mm. potentially this will make it um, one of, among the first of the Chinese e-commerce uh, units to go public. Yeah. Alibaba plans to retain a majority stake in China after the IPO and they are planning to retain more than 50% of the unit's shares. Wow. Um, and what's interesting is, I mean, if you see Alibaba, its latest results have, haven't fared too badly and in fact, it has been a big improvement from where it was compared to a year ago. Yeah. I mean, from, where, from, from what you're seeing, revenues have continued to grow, profits have also continued to grow and largely driven by its e-commerce business which kind of means that, you know, at the end of the day, um, despite how competitive um, online shopping is, how e-commerce is, Alibaba still, after all, is, the, is China's biggest e-commerce players in terms of online shopping. Yeah. And, you know, you have 1.4 billion people in China doing all your shopping. You have the Golden Week coming out um, next week as well mm. and how Alibaba is also um, expanding overseas not just selling e-commerce in, in China but also overseas overseas as well in fact um, Alibaba is also competing in its e-commerce in countries like the US so it is kind of a bright spot here mm. Breaking Alibaba up helps to sort of optimize um, its strategy, right? Mm. And it's also much easier to manage some of these businesses. And on one hand, while it helps in profitability, on the other hand, it I guess it also appeases the government because at the end of the day, the Chinese government also wants to have some regulatory oversight yeah. on this huge biz because if they don't break up, if Alibaba doesn't break up, it's very difficult to try to understand what goes behind the scenes of mm. Alibaba because yeah. it becomes a very intricate web of different businesses. So this breaking mm. up, I guess it's a good news and a yeah. positive news, not just for investors, for even for the Chinese government or the regulators as well. Yeah, to hold more than 50% of shares of Chinel, it certainly shows how much confidence they have in it as well. I'm going to go with an up if we're going to play the game of up or down, but that's exactly what we're going to be doing now. And so it's very <laughs> simple. All you got to do is guess the, the whether it's going to be an up or down on the stock that I've, I'll be picking. Willie, are you ready? All right, let's go then. Okay, Wednesday's edition, the first on the list, Amazon and Google. Okay, so um, depends how you see it. For me, if I'm going to see from a very, from a profitable point of view, yeah. I'm going to be I'm going to put an up. Um, this comes after its uh, antitrust lawsuits involving tech giants Amazon and Alphabet, um, contending that neither company is a true monopoly. So mm. what this really means, I mean, if you come from a just purely from a pure profit play here, um, it means that you know Amazon and Google has a lot of um, monopoly power. Yeah. I, I mean, their business model has a very strong, durable competitive advantage which allows them uh, to pull in a lot of consumers and to build their ecosystem up. I mean, if you see for Amazon, um, consumers love Amazon and that's why uh, the company has tens of millions of Amazon Prime subscribers. So, 
in a sense, Amazon, I guess, has done right. Uh, yeah. But of course, it might also have attracted the wrong attention by yeah. the regulators uh, in terms of antitrust laws. Oh, well, I mean, you're so big and powerful to the point where people actually think you're a monopoly. When you're not, I'm going to go with an up for this as well. Next on the list, Costco. Mm, so Costco will be an up for me after it has reported um, stronger profits despite the fact that um, its revenues has slowed. Um, e-commerce sales have have only grown 0.8%. Mm. Um, but overall, its revenues has, has been quite healthy. Its profits has also been quite healthy as a result from controlling its costs. So Costco sells um, membership clubs to consumers and is one of the uh, largest discount retailers in the US. Yeah. Um, its fourth quarter earnings have been pretty positive so far. Mm. And this is something which I like. And the interesting thing is that... Um, if you have invested Costco, say, 10 years, 10 years ago into 2013, okay. uh, you will have turned $1,000 of investment in Costco to $5,000. So that's five times a return oh on your investment. So, you know, when I'm looking at businesses like Costco, sometimes, you know, it's good to pay attention to what the business is selling and how crucial it is to the daily essentials of consumers. Fantastic. Grocery store. I'm going to go with an up for this one as well. Next one, very quickly, Target. Target is a down for me um, mm. after you said that it will close nine stores uh, citing violence and theft. I mean, on one hand, mm. sometimes um, store, reducing store count is good because it helps to optimize the company's operation. But Target has been struggling to manage their business you know, after the pandemic. Um, it has to deal with excess inventory, but at the same time, it's also struggling um, in its profitability, um, its, its profi- profitability and its revenues as well. So closing down more stores, um, I don't think this sort of bodes well for Target's um, business. Mm. Tough for Target right here. We're t- talking about closing nine stores across major cities because of theft, violence and organized retail crime. Not a good sign for them. We're going to go with it down. Last on the list, India's stock market. So for me, it's an up after Jamie Dimon says that India's optimism is completely justified. Um, and also, um, as many of the developed markets investors, they are looking to diversify away from mm. China. So this, I guess, is a bright spot for the Indian stock market, uh, yeah. especially for institutional investors who wants to have a stake in the Asian stock market. Yeah, in fact, well, let's talk about renewed interest in the country from investors. The Nifty 50 benchmark Indian stock market index for now year to date is over is up over 15%. So certainly some good news for the India stock market. I'm going to go with an up. Wonderful. Thank you so much as always, Willie. Meanwhile, continue to keep it right here with us on Money FM 89.3. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.